0: Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Everything Economics. I am your host, Talia Murdoch, and today I will be covering the topic of monetary policy. This will be the first episode of a multiple part series as 10 years ago, after the global financial crisis, monetary policy changed. In this first part, I will be outlining what monetary policy is and how quantitative easing became a new policy tool to stimulate economies around the world. Monetary policy generally refers to the manipulation of interest rates to maintain price stability in the economy. It is most often carried out by a country's central bank, which is independent of political party influence and makes its policy decisions based on economic indicators like GDP and inflation, among other things, of course, within an economy. A central bank will change interest rates to control the supply of money, and it's usually trying to achieve some target inflation rate. This is commonly 2-3% over the long run, as this signals good sustainable economic growth and full employment levels within an economy. Obviously, it won't be this every quarter, but remember, this is the long run target for most central banks. To do this, the central bank will set the cash rate in the short term, depending on what they are trying to achieve. The cash rate is the interest rate that banks and other financial institutions pay to borrow money from them. In a simple world, the cash rate would reflect the interest rate paid by businesses and households. But we do not live in a simple world, so please keep in mind that the central bank is not the only place other banks borrow from, but will be in these scenarios. So let's imagine that the central bank wants to undertake expansionary monetary policy, meaning that they want to grow the economy. This would be done if they saw that unemployment was rising, the economy was not growing, and prices were either declining or stagnating. Well, this might sound like a good thing, prices not going up. It is an indicator of weak economic activity and is something that is as damaging as high inflation itself. Okay, so the central bank wants to stimulate the economy to encourage growth and expansion, restoring full employment and activity. This can be achieved by lowering the cash rate. This makes the cost of borrowing money cheaper and encourages firms to take out loans and invest in stimulating activity like property development. As we know from past episodes, this will create jobs and inject income into the economy, which in turn becomes more income as a multiplier effect takes place. On top of this, the government will automatically generate more tax revenue from income and corporate taxes to further invest in the economy. Now, if the central bank believed that the economy was at full employment and inflation was too high or at risk of rising, they could undertake contractionary mon- monetary policy and simply increase the cash rate, lowering the supply of money in the economy and stabilizing growth. Something that is critical to the success of monetary policy is credibility of the central bank. Inflation rates are heavily dependent on inflationary expectations by businesses and households. That is why the central bank needs to remain free of political influence and not engage in erratic policy changes. It is important that they stay true to economic indicators and use as much information and data as possible when reviewing the cash rate. It is also important that they communicate with the general public and be transparent in their decision making. You can read their reports on their website if you want to know more about how they measure the economy's health. Just search the central bank of your country or your country of interest. So what would happen if the central bank has already set the cash rate so low that they can't influence an economy in recession? This is exactly what happened in the United States when the global financial crisis hit in 2007. I just want to say quickly, this is not an episode about the GFC, rather the policy that came out of it and how it worked in the short to medium term. Prior to the collapse of the US economy in 2007, the Federal Reserve, the Central Bank of America, had their cash rate set to just 6%, despite the fact that the economy was thriving at full employment. So it was too low, meaning that they did not have a whole lot of conventional monetary policy to work with to stimulate the economy again. They lowered rates to 0% and obviously not being able to go lower than that, they found themselves in a liquidity trap. There was no more money to move around. This was not a unique situation, but it was happening globally. They had to be creative and find new ways to get more money in the economy and create an incentive for businesses to invest. So what they did is undertook what is known as quantitative easing and basically refers to the buying of assets from banks. So if you were a bank and you had government bonds, which are pretty much just stable stocks, the Fed would buy them back off you to increase your supply of cash. With that increase in supply, the banks would be able to lower interest rates because we know that an increase in supply causes a decrease in price and the economy could be stimulated. Within its first five years, the Fed purchased 4.5 trillion US dollars of government-issued bonds and 1.3 trillion US dollars of debt. So we are looking at 5.8 trillion US dollars injected into the economy, alongside other stimulating policies they were undertaking at the time. This is 2013. So did it work in these early days? Well, this is arguable, as every economic theory really is. Critics of this loose style of monetary policy argue that low rates simply pumped up asset bubbles, distorted financial markets, and risked inflation. Supporters, on the other hand, including the Economist to some extent, argue that the effect on other sectors of the economy had not been negligible. For example, households responded to lower borrowing costs and house prices began rising with more mortgages being given and stable mortgages, not subprime ones that brought about the collapse in the first place. Further, new car loans also found themselves at a six year high in 2013. GDP was on the mend at this time. But at quite a slow rate, as business and consumer confidence had more or less been shattered. Despite such positive indicators, there has also been a link between cheap money and corporate investment, where instead of using lower interest rates to increase credit available to households to issue new debt, banks have used the low cost cash to finance their own investments. Businesses alike have, instead of using the funds to build new factories, etc., which provide a relatively substantial boost to economic growth, have used the cheap money to refinance their own loans or build up rainy day funds, which provides a much smaller boost to growth than initially anticipated. It follows the logic that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. So although there were some positive impacts on the general economy, this was not as vast as the Fed had anticipated, as commercial banks have used the cheap credit for their own investments in riskier assets to make relatively easy profits in an isolated way. One of the key challenges faced by the Fed after its first five years, so we're looking at 2013 still, is figuring out how to manage markets when they decided to taper off quantitative easing. They had been more or less giving them $85 billion per month and there was a huge risk that markets had become addicted to the cheap money. When the Fed first announced just the possibility of considering slowing this down, commercial banks and global equity markets panicked sold off their assets, driving down stock prices as they look to put their money elsewhere. And this was just at the talk of maybe stopping the policy in the future. Last week, quantitative easing turned 10. It has been a decade since the first major asset purchase in the United States. I've just walked through the first five years briefly in the United States, and we'll be looking at the last five years in the next part to see if this policy actually worked in the longer run. So thank you so much for listening. As you know, I'm not super into the monetary or finance world, but I do find this to be a pretty interesting topic as it, is, as it is so new and experimental and seems to have worked for the most part, but obviously has been met with challenges and consequences. So I hope you enjoyed listening along as well. You can find the show on Twitter at Every Economics and follow the network at Cave Goblins across all social media platforms. Check out the website, cavegoblins.com, for other fun shows too like Comedy Zeitgeist a show where host Doug Vanderley talks to Vancouver comedians about other comedians. Thanks again for listening. Please rate and review on iTunes. I am Talia Murdoch and this has been Everything Economics.